I just always wanted to sing. I didn't want to write songs. I didn't want to play the guitar. All I really wanted to do yeah. was sing. Yeah, it was the same for me, guitar. I picked it up. I learned at camp. I went to mm-hmm. the camp for, it was a camp for gifted children, but really what it was, it was a camp for kids that hated anything physical. <laughs> like, they did, it was an arts camp. Uh-huh. Like if you were an arty kid, it was like heaven. Welcome to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Four New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry, along with Ron Block. As novelists, we are four longtime friends with 70 books between us. And I am Ron Block. Please join us for fascinating author interviews and insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you are in the right place. Welcome to the Friends in Fiction Writers Block Podcast. I am Ron Block, and I am so excited for this week's episode. We are all in for a wonderful treat. Previously, we've explored storytelling that's beyond fiction. It's included cookbooks, memoir, and poetry. But now we're going to add another category, songwriting. Our guest today epitomized the very best in singer-songwriters, and it's a personal thrill and honor for me to introduce you to Gretchen Peters and Kim Ritchie. Thank you both for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for having us. Hey there, Ron. Hey. Can we can we still talk cooking even though we're talking? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So I want to tell you a little bit about each of them, and then we're going to dive right into it. And apparently we're going to talk about cooking. So I'm okay with that too. Um, I, a little bit here, but please go to their websites, kimritchie.com and gretchenpeters.com. You're going to get this full, amazing biography. Their stories are so varied and long, and you're going to love everything you read. But for now, Gretchen has been one of Nashville's most beloved and respected artists. If Peters never delivers another tune as achingly beautiful as On a Bus to St. Cloud, People Magazine wrote, she has already earned herself a spot among country's upper echelon of contemporary composers. She's been inducted into the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame by singer-songwriter Rodney Crowell, who called her both a songwriter and a poet who sings as beautifully as she writes. She's accumulated accolades as a songwriter for artists as diverse as Etta James, Bonnie Raitt, Neville Brothers, Patti Loveless, George Strait, Brian Adams, and Faith Hill, to name a few, I'm sure. Her song, Independence Day, was recorded by Martina McBride and won a CMA Song of the Year in 1995. She's been nominated for two Grammys, a Golden Globe, and numerous other awards. She is the recipient of multiple international awards, but most recently in 2021, she was awarded the Poets Award by the Academy of Country Music for outstanding and long-standing musical and lyrical contributions throughout her career. Her latest album, The Night You Wrote That Song, The Songs of Mickey Newbury, is a loving tribute to another Hall of Fame songwriter and a profound influence on Peter's own writing. And I also want to add that when you receive the Poets Award, you received it alongside someone on, coming up, Loretta Lynn. <laughs> yeah. Up and comer. Yeah. That was surreal. Yeah. yeah I bet. We're going to ask you about that a little bit more. <laughs> so Kim Ritchie is actually a former professional chef. 
and she got her first record deal at 37, and she's garnered success as a songwriter, co-writing two number one hits, the Grammy-nominated Believe Me Baby I Lied for Trisha Yearwood and Nobody Wins for Radney Foster. Along with being a Grammy-nominated artist, she's had many other songwriting contributions, which included songs for the Dixie Chicks, Jim Lauderdale, Brooks and Dunn, and Patti Loveless. Her vocals have also appeared on albums by Ryan Adams and Sean Colvin, along with several songs included in TV shows. She has won raves for her sweetly alluring, folk-friendly brand of country, often described as having the voice of an angel. Her most recent release, A Long Way Back, reimagines her early success with a little album called Glimmer. It's a brilliant album and a brilliant reimagination of the classic Glimmer with stripped-down instrumentation. So welcome again to both of you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Wow. That's a lot. Uh, and that's only part. That's only part. You two are like, like I'm reading it and I'm just always so amazed at how much you've accomplished in your careers. And you're only 27. <laughs> I was going to say there's, there's, there's a reason why those bios are so long. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, I, I gave a little bit of an introduction, but each of you, can you tell a little bit about your career trajectory? You go first. Oh, my career tra- trajectory. Well, um, I came. I came to all of this uh, late uh, in in life. Really, I, I was. I played music and had, did a little bit of songwriting when I was in college. But then I moved out to Colorado and lived out there. And um, I wasn't playing music at all. I was cooking and doing uh, a lot of outdoor stuff. I have an environmental ed degree, so I was working at nature centers and then in restaurants too. Um, and then came to Nashville, just kind of on a lark, uh, Bill Lloyd and Radney Foster, uh, Foster and Lloyd convinced me to come here and, uh, and we did, I mean, I never knew, did you ever think that, that, you, you know, growing up, it's like, well, what do you want to be? You know, doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, like, you know, teacher, <laughs> those, those kind of things. But, but, but I never for a second thought that I could, I would make a living as a songwriter. And I didn't performer. Actually, I didn't really know that was a job uh-uh. for a long time. Uh-uh. Like it took me, I was in my late teens or twenties before I realized, Hey, there are people who do that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. When you don't, when you don't, don't do something like that. It just seems like magic. It seems like an unattainable kind of thing, you know, to hear some, you know, like to ever imagine that you'd ever hear yourself on the radio or, or yeah, something like yeah. that. I think I also remember along those same lines, I remember being a kid and hearing like Beatles songs and Beatles records and thinking, I never thought about like the process of writing the song. Cause they seemed like, They'd always been there. Like they were like rocks or something. Mm-hmm. They were just like elements. Fully know? formed. And yeah. so it wasn't like a natural thought process for me to to think, oh, Paul and John sat down and wrote that. Like mm-hmm. they bashed it out on a couple of guitars. It just it didn't it it took me a long time to mm-hmm. figure that out. I you know. So yeah, I, I I was sort of the same way. But you probably like me, you probably picked up the guitar and just started sort of figuring it out. Yeah, I should really be a much better guitar player, actually. It's, but I'm just really lazy. I started playing. My mom bought me a guitar uh, for Valentine's Day, a present. And it was uh, um, it, uh, when I was like 12 or 13 or something. And and uh, But I wasn't. I just always wanted to sing. I didn't want to write songs. I didn't want to play the guitar. All I really wanted to do yeah. was sing. Yeah, it was the same for me, guitar. I picked it up. I learned at camp. 
I went to mm-hmm. the camp for, it was a camp for gifted children, but really what it was, it was a camp for kids that hated anything physical. <laughs> like they did, it was an arts camp. Uh-huh. Like if you were an arty kid, it was like heaven. So, um, and I was seven, but I, and like, like you, I say the same thing. I, I should be a much better guitar player, but all I ever saw it as was a vehicle to, to be able to have something to back me up so I could sing uh-huh. and later on so I could write. Uh-huh. So I kind of feel the same way. Yeah. yeah. And we probably like doing other stuff. Like I, I like, like we were talking about food, you know, earlier, I like cooking yeah. and, and, you know, just all the outdoor stuff. And, and I, I wasn't somebody that was going to sit in my bedroom on my own for hours and hours, you know, practicing and yeah, I'm still not. Stuff. I know I wanted, to do, <laughs> I, I wanted to do other things too. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Although I did sit in my, there was a, and you probably came, you were probably the same way. There was a period from about age 12 to 17, the real angst years where I did sit in my bedroom and played the saddest songs that I knew. And, you know, this is in the, this isn't in the past tense. The saddest songs we know. (laughs) Not much has changed. But I mean, you know, I did did my woodshedding, I guess, in, you know those years like playing Jackson Brown songs and um I think I had a sort of a similar trajectory to Kim in some ways I mean I I didn't come to Nashville till I was 29 um wow uh I signed my first record deal I think nine years later mm-hmm. or eight years later something like that um so overnight success yeah I, I and I like I alluded to earlier, I didn't really think of songwriting as a separate job. I think it was because I loved Joni Mitchell and Paul Simon and Bob Dylan and people that were really true hyphenate singer songwriters. Um, And I never saw singing and songwriting as really separate or recording or touring or anything. I mean, I just, that's what I wanted to do. And so the idea to come to Nashville, which is a songwriter's town, and realize, oh my God, the, there are people that never leave town, and they just sit in a room and write songs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't want to do that. But I did realize when I got here, I realized the song, the song is the thing, and if if I could prove that I could write well then I would be at some point, if I were to get a record deal, I'd be allowed to record my own songs. That was my goal. It was just like, just prove that you can write so that you can have a little control maybe later on. Um, And that worked a lot better than I thought it would. I mean, honestly, every song of mine that got recorded at that point, you know, between the time I got Uh here and, and, and the time I made my first record, I, it was a surprise to me. I'm always flattered and surprised when somewhat somebody else wants to sing that song wow. it's huge it's huge <laughs> it's to have someone yeah. else record your song because when you think of like all the songs that are out there that they have a you know choice of and then they're only gonna pick maybe you know 10 or 12 songs for an album and as artists yeah we know both of us know what it means to choose a song that you're going to sing, because it could possibly mean you're going to have to sing that thing every single night for the rest of <laughs> yeah. your life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's not, you don't do that lightly. I mean, you have to really feel like you can inhabit a song and you, you, 
can continue to find things in it. You know, if you sing it 10 years from now or 20 years from now, and you know, it has to be a really great song. Um, so you have to connect to it too. It has to really speak to you. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, I think we, I think we've both been kind of on both sides of the equation and, and I think that makes us both uh, very grateful to the artists that, that recorded our songs because we know what a commitment mm-hmm. that is. Mm-hmm. It is, it is quite a commitment. And they, do you ever um, go like, I don't want to let this song go. Do you ever like, it's, it's so personal and close to you. There was only one song I felt that way. And it was early on. And it was because I, I knew I was, I was going to be putting out a record that was on a, country label and I needed to have a song that was somebody thought was a hit and it was the secret of life. And I held on to that song because I just felt I had a feeling about it and the record company did. And um, they had such a strong feeling about it that they saved it for the fourth single. (laughs) And by that time my record had just tanked. And so it never, you know, it, it, it was like, it was too little too late at that point. And then like two years later, Faith Hill recorded it and it went to number one. And I was like, yeah, I knew it. I uh, knew that song. So, you know, I think that cured me of saving anything. I, mean, I think it's fate. Yeah. It's, I, I don't think people like that, like a long time ago when we were first starting to write and stuff, there was a big thing about, you know, saving a song or yeah. if somebody else had recorded this song, then you couldn't do it. And and I don't think that's such a big deal now. Um, I think we've thank, thankfully gone more towards the folk way, which is everybody, you know, yeah. like back in the folk days, you know, Bob Dylan would write a song yeah. and six people would record it. Yeah. And I don't think time. there's anything, anything wrong with that. I mean, right. people like to hear the different versions and, you know, so, so no, no. And the couple songs that I saved for me, like after, well, I, I, I never thought, I thought I'd get to make one record maybe. And then, <laughs> then I would be found out. And, uh, and, and, uh, couldn't, you know, didn't get another chance, but, but like, you know, second, second, third records, you know, I was saving songs because I would have had publishers calling up going, we want to pitch this song. And I said, no, I'm, you know, I'm saving it. And of course I never cut either of those songs that, that they were wanting and I could have let them go, but, but now it just doesn't like the more people that record a song, I I think the more interesting it is really. right? I do too. I do too. I think it's, it's kind of folly you know our job is to to create the music it's not to decide where it where it goes really ah, a great point a great point so um let's talk about um songwriting as storytelling why do you think that that um is a thing why do you think it's so important to tell a story through uh, your lyrics and music well i have many feelings about this um Let's hear some feelings. (laughs) Let's do it. (laughs) Many thoughts and many feelings. I think that songs create empathy. I think art in general creates empathy and, and songs uh, much like two of my other favorite things, novels and movies um, put you inside someone else's skin for a little while. And and I think that stories are kind of the oldest way. It, 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 tell me a story, I think, must be one of the oldest phrases in any human language. Um, true. Because we see ourselves in stories. We see ourselves in characters, even characters that are really different from us. Um, because there are only, as I think Shakespeare said, 
about seven stories, really. Um, You can reduce kind of everything down to that. So I think people really, really crave that mirror that you're holding in front of them when you're telling a story. They, they get involved because there's a part of them that goes, you know, that, that feels a connection to the storyteller and the character in the song. And that's, that's what creates this, this empathy. I think songs just are brilliant at just putting you inside somebody else's head for five minutes. And if you can do that, you can, I I mean, I, I know it sounds hyperbolic, but I really believe you can change the world that way if you can create that kind of empathy. But, but more, more often, moreover, I think that um, what, what you asked, you know, why is that important? It's that we, we want it as human beings. We want, that's why we have our, that's why we, that's why we read books and why we go to movies and why we look at paintings and why we listen to, to music is we, we, we want to hear our stories told to us because it makes us, feel that we belong to something bigger that we're connected. Yeah. I mean, connected to other people. I mean, that's why I, I know all of us are like big fans of sad songs. And I, yeah, and I think are. like, like when, whenever, you know, when, whenever I'm feeling sad or something like that, I don't, I don't want to hear a happy song. I don't want to hear like, you nope. know, don't worry, be happy. I like if God, somebody no. played that for me, I'd like to punch them or something, but, <laughs> yeah. but you know, yeah. a sad song just makes you feel like somebody knows how you feel and uh, and it's comforting. And also I think of writing story songs or something from another person's perspective um, is interesting to me because I think even though like, like I have a song I, that I wrote from a, you know, a perspective of, of, uh, of a fellow that works on a barge on the Ohio river, but yeah. really it's another song that I would write. I'm writing about myself, even though I'm, you know, speaking in the voice of this character because it's a, you know, love gone wrong song and me pretending to be a barge guy. But, but it's, <laughs> you know, it's, you, I think we, we give away a lot about ourselves in the, yeah. the songs, even when we're, you know, pretending to be another character. I think there's a, there's a, a lot of us showing I love around that. the edges. I love that song too. Just had to. Me too. Yeah. I really yeah. love that song. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I think I, my, my great example of that, what, what Kim's talking about is um, <clears throat> John Steinbeck and the Grapes of Wrath. I mean, like yeah. anybody who is reading the Grapes of Wrath at this moment was not, an Oki escaping the Dust Bowl and going yeah. to California. I mean, none of us have had that experience at this point. That was a hundred years ago. Um, so, so in a sense, you know, Steinbeck wrote about this character that has nothing in common with us. And yet, you know, you, you can't read that book and not feel this tremendous deep empathy with Tom Joad because he's going through some of the most basic stuff that humans go through and Mm -hmm. we we all can relate to it and it's incredibly moving to watch it happen when Steinbeck lays it out in the book that's so true and and even people um think I'm weird for really enjoying a really sad book a really a book that just makes you feel a lot and it's thank you for explaining that so well well there's just you know that it's the bottom line is there's two kinds of people in the world there's people who love who find sad songs depressing Mm -hmm. and then there's us 
And yeah. those other people are wrong. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but yeah. Just, just like feeling something, you know, is really yeah. great though. Even if it's a it's a a, a great sadness, that's cathartic, you know, in yeah. in, in itself. They're that, even like a the key super sad catharsis. That's it is what was that book the, the one of the saddest books I've ever read and I loved it so much was is it the God Goddess of Small Things? Or the God of Small Oh, I, yeah. I re- I started reading that book, and you know, I was just kind of like, whoa, 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 just reading along, and and I got a, a little bit into it, and I thought, oh, this is a really, really good book. I'm going to start all over again, and I'm going to pay attention and not right. just blast through it. But I mean, I was, you know, I was crying when I was reading it, but there was something about it. It's just, you know, just made me. I don't know. Feel feel good at C- the end. Catharsis. Of it. That's mm-hmm. that's exactly you hit the nail on the head. So, do you have a favorite um, song or a favorite CD? Um, not I'm speaking from experience or anything that you pop on whenever you kind of need that. Oh. Like a go to. Oh, I've got a playlist like eight hours long. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like I can think of some examples off the top of my head. There's a there's a Jackson Brown song which is actually later in his catalog called sky blue and black there's something about it's not just the lyrics but there's something about the music that just cracks me open every Mm. time it just busts me wide open um i can pretty much listen to anything jimmy lefave sings and cry because of his voice you know it's like the other thing is it's not always just about the lyrics like music all by itself can pull some amazingly intense yeah, emotions you don't, you don't have to you don't have to think about it i mean you can listen to adagio for strings and just like i i'm weeping yeah you know um, yeah yeah I've, there's there's a lot um i collect i collect those even like certain songs um i've collected about i don't know 20 or 30 versions of moon river for some reason, that's my favorite song. Is it really? Yeah, that's my favorite song. Song of all time. For Moon some River. reason, perfect. Moon River just it's, destroys me. Yes. It just destroys me. The 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 melody and the and the lyrics, all of it. It's just oh. it just has this beautiful melancholy thing to it, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yeah. Wait, what? What for? To put something on, I remember I went to uh, I went and saw a movie. I think it was called In the Name of the Father, and. Uh, it was about, it was based on a true story and it was so, it made me so sad and feel so bad. Like there just wasn't anything good in the world. And I remember coming home and, and I couldn't, couldn't think of anything to do to make myself feel better. Like, you know, I didn't want to call any, I didn't want to talk to anybody. There wasn't anybody I could think of. And, and I just felt just bad. And and then I put on crowded house Oh God! Yeah, just the beauty of the melody—you know, Mm -hmm. their melodies and stuff. It's like, okay, I feel, I feel better. Yeah, I feel better now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. For me, it's uh, Wichita Lineman. Oh, Oh. that's a great song. God, yes. Yeah. 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 Yep. Sometimes my husband Barry will be uh, the piano is in the. We have a long kind of shotgun house, and the piano is in the front room, and I will hear him playing the piano, and he'll. Usually it's Bach, which is just like math to me. Um, but <laughs> then he'll bust out into something like Wichita Lineman or, um, you know, one of those classic songs. Or, or lately he's been playing God Only Knows but uh-huh. by the Beach Boys. Uh-huh. Yep. And I will literally be in the other end of the house hearing that piano come back to me and I'll just like start crying. <laughs> because, <laughs> because 
because the melody is just that beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yep. And the storytelling is just amazing. Yeah. So we've talked about the end product. Let's go back a little bit and talk about putting the songs together. How do you, um, do you, I know that for, for um, writers who write books, they have their own process and they're all very different. What's your process for putting a song together? Like where do the ideas come from? Well, I mean, I'll start, ideas come from, from all over the place. I mean, you can, uh, you can get ideas, you know, singer songwriters from our own lives. There's a lot of that, you know, here's another song about me. And uh, <laughs> then they're, they're, you know, in relationships or, you know, I like to sit in coffee shops and, and uh, that's one thing I really miss this past, you know, year and a bit. People is, watching. Yeah. That. And just listen to people, but books, movies, I mean, any, you, you're just as a songwriter, I think you're just always on the lookout for um, ideas for a song. Like I, I had got an idea for a song from, Hill Street Blues from something that Sipowitz had said, my favorite <laughs> wow. character. I know. How about that? But just like, just all, just all over the place. One of my favorite uh, songwriter stories is uh, Mike Reed was talking about when they wrote, I Can't Make You Love Me, which is one of the most beautiful. I never get tired of hearing that we song. We talk about a heart opening yeah. song. Yeah. yeah oh. it's, and it's so beautiful. But the way they got the idea for that song was there was an article in the newspaper. I can't remember. Uh, Shamblin, that's who he wrote that yeah, with. Yeah. So they, they were together to write, and there was an article in the newspaper about this guy who had been brought to court because there was a restraining order put on him to leave his, I don't know if it was his ex-wife or girlfriend, ex-girlfriend or whatever, to leave her alone. And he wouldn't leave her alone. He kept going to her house and, you know, calling her and everything until finally she did a restraining order. And now he still didn't do it. And so he's up um, talking to the judge and the judge says, you know, you, you, you have to leave this woman alone. You know, she doesn't want you and you have a restraining order, you know, on you. And, and he said, he said, well, I guess you're right, judge. You know, I can't make her love me. And, and they started out writing that song like some kind of it, joke song. It was a blue. He, Mike told me it was started out as, I can't make you love me. <laughs> it was a blue, bluegrass thing. <laughs> like a goofy song. And it turned into the, like, oh, one of my, that's one of my most favorite songs, yeah, too. That is in- incredible. You have to follow the song, too. Like, that song didn't want to be a goofy bluegrass song. It wanted to be... Yeah. what it turned into. Yeah. So you have to kind of, you know, and pay speaking attention of, to that. Speaking of process, that's a, that is a really important point. That's a big part of the process is uh, understanding that as the writer, you're kind of along for the ride. Like the song is going to tell you where it wants to go. And a big part of your responsibility when you're writing it is listening to that and not saying, yeah, but I wanted to write, an up-tempo bluegrass song or, you know, mm-hmm. what I mean, you have to listen to the song, tell you what it wants to be. Um, and that's the muddy, murky middle part of the process that is hard and um, kind of makes you beat your head against the wall a lot of the time because you're, you, you know, usually if you're stuck in some way or it's not going well, it's because you're not listening to that because you're trying to force it around peg in a square hole or vice versa, whatever that saying is. So that is, that is a really, I think really important part of the process. Um, For me, the ideas usually are verbal. They're some kind of lyric. They're a title. 
or a line or even a word or even a concept, um, like a thought, like, um, I remember having, uh, I wrote a song uh, a couple albums ago called, uh, the boy from Rye. And actually when I, when I had the idea for that song, it wasn't, there was no lyric or, or music or anything. The idea was I, I really want to write about how I felt when I was 13 years old, um, and trying to figure out what this, what was expected of me as a, a soon to be woman, you know, a girl at puberty uh, and all the stuff she goes through internally and that kind of weird transition that most, most of us made in our heads, unfortunately, from being the subject of our own lives to being an object. And right. that it, it's, and when I had that idea, I was simultaneously really excited by the idea of writing about it and terrified because I knew it's a, really big. I mean, you could write a novel about that and <laughs> writing a five minute song is, you know, how am I going to do that kind of thing? But, um, but for me, they're usually, I, I, I'm not the person who gets melodies swimming around in my head and go, Oh, that's kind of cool. I'll put some words to it. I'm the melody swimmer. Yeah, I know. Yeah. that's. I know. The, well, but then it shows, too. <laughs> but, but then, but then the, like music always kind of does, you know, comes first for me, except for maybe I'll get a couple, you know, a couple ideas for lyric, but it's, it's usually musically inspired, but that's kind of hard too, because then the, the, it is hard for me. Cause I, every time I sit down and think, Oh, I'd like to, you know, write a song now instead of just like, putting another melody on my phone. Mm. Um, it, it's, it, I always think every time I sit down, it's like, I'm never going to write another song. It's too hard. I, 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 I think it, no matter how you are, that's every writer feels that yeah. way. I know I feel that way. Yes. Yeah, like, I don't, I don't what, what do I have to say? I think the older I get too, it's like, well, what, what do I want to say now? You know, I think that, that I haven't said already. Th I agree with that. And I think part of that is because, the more you, the longer you do this and, you know, presumably you're always trying to get better and better mm -hmm. at it. The target gets higher and higher and farther away. You know, the, 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 the target that you're trying to hit, you're really, I mean, I'm trying to write songs that are better than the last ones that I wrote. And that gets harder and harder. Yeah. And you don't let yourself off the hook so easily by just throw, you know, allowing throwaway lines or, or, uh, you know, kind of half-assing it. You yeah. know, you, you just, you just, uh, I mean, I'm done with that. I don't want to do that. I would rather not write anything than to, to half-ass I have my doubts about you ever having a half-ass line oh. in any of your songs. I'm not buying that. <laughs> I, Check her junk drawer. There might be I, something I, there. You, you give me a yellow highlighting pen and I'll show you. <laughs> <laughs> I, so basically you get these things in your head and um, five minutes later, you've got the finished product. Right? Yeah, that's right. pretty much how it works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah if it takes yeah. that long, even really. No, I'm, I'm amazed at how similar what you're saying is to um, authors that I speak with also, because a lot of the process is the same, that the ideas dog you and, and you always think that the next book has to be better than the one before. And you're always reaching for higher and more. Um, so do you sit down and kind of like work this through or do you kind of, um, just, or do you do it different ways? Like how do you get it from your brain to, to the paper? I am a very, um, I, I would say I have equal, my right brain and left brain both function at about the same level. I mean, I can be very organized and, 
I was an accountant at one point in my life oh. early oh. on. I mean, so oh. I have, so I have to really, really, really try and be conscious of not um, trying to write a song like I'm solving an equation. Like I have to shut that linear logical part down and let the subconscious do the work because those, that's where the real gold comes from. You know, the really, like I, I tell, I, when I teach writing, I tell my students this, I think this is more illustrative of the power of the subconscious than anything. Every line that I can think of that I've written that I'm really, really proud of that I right. think that was perfect. I have no memory of writing it. Wow. I have memories, many memories of pounding out the rest of the song, you know, mm -hmm. with the getting the hammer and the nails out mm -hmm. and trying to make everything fit and, you know, make it be a sturdy little song. But the really, uh, what you would call inspired lines or whatever, I, ne I never remember where I was or what I was doing when I wrote them. And I think the reason for that is they come from a much deeper place. They come from the subconscious. So for me, the, 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 the trick is, is getting that, that editor in my head that, you know, she's a mean girl, you know, <laughs> getting her out of the room and letting myself just play. Yeah. That's, play, you know, that's the hard, the hard thing when you're writing is, is not, is not to edit yourself. You know, that that's supposed to come later, later. Yeah. And, and then that's a great thing that the editing, that's uh, fun. Once you get the song done and then you go back and work on it and then and you listen to it, take a look at every single word. Yeah. And, I mean, that's, yeah. And that's, but you're right. That's like definitely a much later yeah. thing. And I, I tend to want to like, you know, like, Oh, I got a great idea. Let's clamp down on it right now and write it. And it just mm -hmm. doesn't work that way. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes they, Sometimes for me, they take months, you know, I have to put them down. Yeah. Like a month later. Yeah. Because you know? I've had songs that, that, that I've, you know, worked on for oh, a couple of years. Mm -hmm. The uh, snow song, like that's, that hung around forever. Because really? I had the first part came out really fast. Careful how you go. The first part came out really fast. And then, then it's like, I'd pick up the guitar and start playing. It's like, no, not feeling it. And just put it, you know, put yeah. it, put it back away. But, um, yeah, I, th I think also, too, with uh, the subconscious thing, I'm trying to be better about that because a lot of times if I'm coming up with these melodies, I've found that if I just if I just sing nonsense words and it's really hard to do that, even when you're on your own, it's like. You know, the, you, you know, the, the mean girls going, that's stupid, yeah. you know, in right. your ear the entire time. When, but if I just go not la 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 when I'm doing a melody, it's harder to come up with a lyric for that melody because it's not inspired by like even the sounds of the words mm -hmm. a lot of times. So, so yeah, any little word and sometimes I'll go back and listen to um, like, you know, just recordings of, of song ideas, music ideas and and there'll be a, you know, a lyric in there that I don't really understand. Yes. And then I'll uh, even, I'm not even sure what the words are, but then you go, oh, well, maybe it's this. And even if it's not, that works. It's it's kind of like finding a little bit of, you know, a little firefly and going, what is this thing? I don't know what it means. I don't know. What, but yeah. that you can trust, you know. That's our job. You know? I think that's just like, because that's why um like the music inspires me for a word or a phrase or something. And then I think, okay, well, 
where does that come from and why did mm-hmm. that pop out and what does that mean and how can I make this into a, yeah. a, a something more than just this word or phrase? Exactly. Yeah. Oh God, I could do this all week. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> a... <laughs> Welcome we, to the week long podcast. We, we would much <laughs> prefer to talk about writing than to actually write. So <laughs> I, there, as, I bet as that's is true. the way with oh. all writers, right? That's, that's probably the same for everybody. The old thing of, you know, if, how do you get a writer to clean his house? You tell him to write. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and how do you get him to write? You get, tell him to clean his house. That's, that's so true. So true. And that concludes part one of our two-part episode with Kim and Gretchen. Wasn't it amazing? Tune in on December 17th when we will present part two. Thank you for tuning in to the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in every Friday for another episode. And you can also join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live Friends and Fiction show airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.